Welcome to another episode of the Always Hope Podcast, a production of Willwood's Faith and Marriage. I'm your host, Dr. Mario Sacasa. Let's admit it, trying to have faith at times can be very challenging. I love God, but sometimes I do doubt His goodness, His providence, and His presence. This episode is about knowing what to do when those doubts arise. Ignoring, stuffing, or pretending that they will go away are not the best options. Joining me today is Chris O'Neill, part-time family life minister for the Archdiocese of New Orleans, full-time husband and father, and theologian extraordinaire. Chris is a longtime friend, and the inception of this podcast emerged after many conversations we have had over the years on this topic. He shares from his deep theological knowledge, but also his personal experiences with these questions. We take a deep dive into trying to make sense of those moments in life, examine the difference between involuntary and voluntary doubt, discuss the role of doubt as an aid to our growing in faith, and explore how the challenges in marriage can serve as an analogy to the challenges in our faith life. We end the show by pointing to hope and offer some practical suggestions on how to get through those difficult moments of doubt. You're not alone in the struggle, and we hope that this show gives you some guidance on knowing when doubt is healthy and when it is destructive and what to do during those hard times. When you finish the show, head on over to faithandmarriage.org for more great content on life, faith, and relationships. All right, let's get into it. Chris O'Neill, thanks for being here with me. Oh, it's so good to be here. Yeah, what a pleasure. Yeah. So I think that, you know, place to start uh, when we're going to have this conversation today is recognizing that I like to think that I'm a man of faith. Uh, I, I like to believe that, you know, most days that, I, that I'm trying my best. And and over the years of our friendship, I know that you are also and trying to wrestle with these deep questions and how these truths make sense in our, in our lives. Um, and so I, I guess for a springboard, just really trying to say like, man, there have been times in my life where I've tried to make sense of, of real difficulties, real, real, real struggles where I thought my, my conception of, of God or the faith was like this kind of box or this, this sure. crystal clear thing that I, that I thought I was going to be. And, and then have these moments where those notions, you know, get challenged and by, the, and the rug comes out from, and the rug you. comes out from underneath you. And you're like, yeah. well, what the heck, how do I make sense of this? Yeah. And, and at times I felt guilty for asking that, but then mm-hmm. as I've peered into the teachings of the church, um, in the, the Bible and the faith and the scripture that's given to us, I realized like, no, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not a bad person for asking some of those questions. Right. Like it doesn't mean I lack faith because of it. Yeah. Yeah. And so my hope is for our listeners that through our conversation, people can just feel permission to, to explore the questions that are coming up in their heart. And, uh, and so trying to give them some guidance into, into all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first thought, you know, thank you for the compliment. I, I don't know if my faith is as strong as you say it is. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, you know, we're trying. And we know that we know, I mean, it's been, you know, we've been through enough together as our friendship and we've kind of known each other's lives together that we, we know we've struggled. Right. And, um, there's something about the faith that is hard. And I think that we're, we are accustomed to talking about the faith as if it's not right. Do you know, like right. when you when you go to your Sunday school class or, you know, you go to religion class, if you've gone to a Catholic school or something, you know, it's the the faith is it seems tends to always be talked about as if it's something 
you know, easy, simple, um, straightforward, um, obvious, and um, and and that doubts are that there's a sin that that's associated with doubt. Right. You know, it's part of our tradition that we we shouldn't fall into doubt, um, and and we tend to mean that that we tend to take that to mean as if there if we have any difficulties that we have to either pretend they're not there or choke them choke them down or bootstrap ourselves into just be, just believe just believe you know um like you know tinkerbell doesn't live because we don't believe and you know you know and if i don't clap loud enough tinkerbell dies or something <laughs> you know or something you know and, the, and or, so you know and that that's kind of how we so right. a lot of times we we walk through our life just like you know, I'm not sure that's true. And then you just like choke that down and you just clap louder to keep Tinkerbell alive, you know? And, right, um, right, right. You know, and then, and then part of that, and then one of the things that happens, I know you're concerned about, I'm certainly concerned about in our culture is that we have this kind of rising tide of atheism, mm-hmm. which, which points the finger at Christians and say, you think God is Tinkerbell. You right. know, you right. think God is Santa Claus and, and this myth, and it's just not true. And, and then we don't, then we're ill prepared to handle that, you know, because we've kind of choked our doubts down. Right. And, um, so, yeah, I, and, and so with that, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's, I'd be remiss to at least mention the timing of our, of our conversation, which is on the heels are still in the midst of all the scandal that the church is going through. Sure, right. And not that I want to go down, you know, talking about that per se, but just recognizing that the world looks at it and says, you see, yeah, right. This I mean, is what I've been saying all along. This is what I've been saying all along and pointing yeah. the finger and saying, you guys don't got it together. And so yeah. how can you tell us to get it together? Now, yeah. I know there's more nuance that we can maybe sure. explore into all that, but recognizing that the scandal certainly does not help right. our evangelistic efforts. Right. And, we tend, and we'll tend, and you know, I mean, if one, if, if nothing else, we tend to, we, we, you know, on the dominant Catholic culture or something like that, we, we tend to, we want, we want our bishops and we need our bishops to be transparent, holy, faithful men and and we kind of you know the the obedience and things that we that 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 the structure of the church requires is dependent on and takes for granted that these men are are striving for holiness themselves and and by and large they do um but there's plenty that don't and when we when we recognize the the weaknesses and the failings among you know the men in collars or something like that then it it's 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 a huge, it can be a huge blow to our, to our, our confidence in the faith. Um, but, but I think, and you know, but I don't want to point, I don't want to talk about that no, so either. much, but, I, but, but what, but the, the analogy is that, you know, we get just as devastated when we see our own weaknesses and our own failures and our own doubts and our own, you know, when we look at, when I look into my own heart and I see that I don't always really totally believe then it's it's just as devastating to my own faith, you know. And I don't, um, and sometimes I don't. And I think that's what we want to talk about is like what what do we do with that, you know? Or 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 is it okay to even talk about that, you know? Yeah, <laughs> you and, know. And, and I think it is. <laughs> yeah, that's well, why that's talking. why we're doing it, right? To, to be able to talk. So what about is that. you got the catechism open here, right? What is the church? What is the teachings here? What does the the catechism say so, about this? So I, I I was thinking about this show about. Um, the questions of faith and doubt and, 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 and this passage in the catechism, uh, for those of you who like to look it up, it's paragraph 2088, 
And it says the first commandment requires us to nourish and protect our faith with prudence and vigilance and to reject everything that is opposed to it. There are various ways of sinning against faith. Voluntary doubt about the faith disregards or refuses to hold as true what God has revealed and the church proposes for belief. Involuntary doubt refers to hesitation in believing, difficulty in overcoming objections connected with the faith, or also anxiety aroused by its obscurity. If deliberately cultivated, doubt can lead to spiritual blindness. You know? So tease that out. What's the difference in so, between voluntary and involuntary? Yeah, so so there's a there's a there's a long tradition in the church that we often haven't um, haven't understood very well in in in, a, in our recent times of of there's a difference between the fact that having faith is difficult, right? On the one hand, and obstinance or like a refusal to believe what you know to be true, you know, and and so. And and we kind of have lumped doubt into those two things because there's the volu- that's kind of what we're saying about voluntary and involuntary doubt. Voluntary doubt is like you obstinately refuse to believe what you know to be true. And who doesn't do that? Like we all do that. We need to first of all say we all do that. Mm-hmm. I know that I shouldn't or I know that this is true, but but I can come up with all kinds of good reasons to convince myself that that's not true. And, mm-hmm. you know, so there's kind of an obstinacy there, you know, that we tend to we tend to not want to believe what we know to be true. That's one thing. Right? Say that again. And we, that we, we like how, let me think of an example, like, like, um, I, very simple. Like say, I say, I know that, um, I should exercise more, mm-hmm. right? I should mm-hmm. exercise more. But when it comes down to brass tacks, I don't. Now, mm-hmm. why? Well, okay, because I don't want to. I'm a bum. I'm lazy or whatever. You know, okay, there's all kinds of, when I really, but when I'm in the midst of it, I come up with all kinds of good reasons not to exercise. Like I've got other things to do. I've got other more important things. Like mm-hmm. exercise isn't that important, you know, and so on, so on, and so on. Well, I'm lying to myself, you know, there, there can be a point where I lie to myself, you know, when it comes down to brass tacks, there's something that I know is true and I just lie to myself about it. I pretend like I don't know it, you know, and there's right. a kind of obstinacy and that's a very, very minor like thing, but yeah, yeah. that can grow all the way up to like, do I need to go to mass on Sunday or do I need to, you know, do I need to really, um, really counter with effort, my, my habitual sinfulness and things like that, you know, right. I mean, all, all of those things. And we play those games in our minds all the time. We do. Right? Yeah, certainly. I mean, cause we can convince ourselves that anything's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. But I think that back to the, the, the theme here, at least what I want to yeah. get to is recognizing particularly the involuntary faith right. doubts that listen, I've been on my faith journey for a long time now. Mm-hmm. And, and I've had particularly two key moments in my life where I've had a, what I would say a real crisis of faith a real moment where, where I stared at all the books on my shelf that I've read, all the years of theology, everything that I've looked at, and I said, is this all real? Yeah. And, and man, that's terrifying when you yeah. ask that question. And, and I take solace in the Psalms because here in Psalm 77, right, we, this is an experience that I think all of us can kind of relate to here. The psalmist says, my eyes cannot close in sleep, right? This guy's going through some real struggles and, you know, my eyes cannot close in sleep. I am troubled and cannot speak. I mean, we've all had those, those nights where mm-hmm. like, like 
it just seems like the world is just crashing down. I don't even down. know what to say. I don't know what to say, I don't know right? What to think. Think. Yeah. So right. I think I considered the days of old, the years long past, and I remember in the night I meditate in my heart. I ponder and my spirit broods. Will the Lord reject us forever, never again show favor? Has God's love ceased forever? Has the promise failed for all ages? Has God forgotten mercy and anger withheld compassion? Yeah. We've all had those experiences. Yeah. And then he says, I conclude... My sorrow is this, the right hand of the Most High has left us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I've been there. Yeah. And it's not, it, it's tough. That's right. It's tough. And, and, to, and, to, and to admit that that's part of the human experience, that's part of our faith journey is, you know, the, 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 what involuntary doubt as the catechism describes that is recognizing and accepting the fact that there are difficulties and we do go through these periods of of where our faith is shaken. And, you know, and I, and I think and we'll talk about that as we go forward. There's a reason for that. I mean, it's an important reason for that. Um, but, yeah, we go through those things and that's not to doubt in this voluntary way. Right. That's not to doubt in this way where I'm just playing games in my head. When you when you can't lie, when you're laying awake at night and you're pondering these things in the way that the psalmist is speaking, um, you know, you're you that's no time to be playing games with yourself in your head. Right. right. Um and, and there's an and that's an involuntary this is what the catechism I think is talking about when he's talking about involuntary doubt. I agree. And and the key is to not foster that involuntary doubt. The key is to like it can make you blind if you if you just stay there and you stop looking, you stop thinking, you stop reading the scriptures, you stop praying, you stop uh, deepening your understanding of the tradition, you stop kind of working that through, right? You're in that period where you don't know and you've got, and that means you have work to do. And the hard you part know? is that because the, the moments of doubt don't usually happen when we're feeling good. Yeah. Right. Right. It's not like it's not like, oh, I just got that raise or I finally got that job that I was looking for. Yeah. And then now I doubt God's existence. Right. You know, like it doesn't right. it doesn't happen that it always happens in, when you're depressed, when, I'm depressed. when, you're fresh, when things are going bad. Yeah. yeah. When, when I've yeah. lost a job or I mean, whatever it is, like you've had loss of a child. I mean, illness it's, going on, anything all, yeah. catastrophic. And you're right. trying to say, well, how is an all good God who I believe an all knowing God that I believe allowing X to happen in my life. Yeah. And so for the answer to be that I have to keep pressing on, it's truthful, but it's also hard. Hard. It's hard. That's right. Because like with depression from a clinical perspective, one of the, the, the best things that somebody can do when they're depressed is to have a regular exercise regime. Yeah. Right? Just we know if working out 20 minutes, 30 minutes a day or, or whatever mm -hmm. is going to release the serotonin levels at similar levels that some some antidepressants are going to do. Yeah. Try to tell a depressed person that, you know, the who, best thing who for can't you can't put their shoes on. Yeah, exactly. Right. The best thing for you is to get up and go for a walk. Yeah. OK, buddy. You know, like yeah. I can't even brush my teeth. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, right. Like, I don't even want to get out of bed. That's right. right? So That's how right. do we how do we make sense That's of that? Right. Like when when in times of doubt. The best answer is to keep pressing on, but not in the pressing on where like just clap louder, right? Because yeah. Tinkerbell is going to be real, but like no, recognizing that you're 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 in a tunnel, yeah, and and you have to kind of keep walking, and uh, and that somehow the answer is going to reveal itself, right, right? Because because I think what's happening, like okay, so you're you're. You're a psychologist. I'm a. I had to study philosophy. Counselor, I'm a counselor. counselor. Let's be honest. Okay, I'm okay, not, okay. I'm sorry. Here. Right. Yeah. You're a counselor, and I, you know, I'm I'm more of a philosopher or whatever, and kind of think about those things. And the, so there's a difference in how we think about those things. But, but you know, 
uh, as a as a thinker, you 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 have to realize that you come to a place where you don't know something, and it's unsettling to not know something. But to know that you don't know something is actually an advance, right? Right. To come to understand that your way of thinking about God or your way of acting with respect to God in your life was inadequate in some way. Yes. You know, or wasn't that you believe in, in other words, a lot of times we come into this, we have this moment of crisis in our faith because we've believed something about God that wasn't true. You know, we've believed something about God that wasn't true. We thought that God would always act in such a way that I wouldn't encounter suffering. And then all of a sudden I do encounter suffering and you go, wait a minute, that's not supposed to happen. Therefore God must not exist. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And it's, it is, it is because we, because the experiences of our life don't match our understanding of who God is and how he works and what's my relationship with him. And when that doesn't match, something has to go. And I can't deny my experiences. The truth is I'm suffering here. I, yes. mean, I can't just say, well, I'm not really suffering. You know, I can, you know, whatever, or I'm not, I didn't actually just lose my job or my kid's not actually sick or, you know, whatever. Like, I can't deny that. And so then the other side of the equation has to go like my under, and, and, you know, maybe something about my understanding of God does have to go. Mm -hmm. Maybe who I thought God was, isn't who God actually is. And if that's where I am, where my understanding of God is not who God actually is, then I need to go seeking God. Well, then I'm, then I'm, I'm advancing, even though it feels like 10 steps back. Right. It feels like I'm down in the dumps. It feels like my whole life has kind of come crashing down around me, you know, but, um, and so I'm, I'm going, I'm realizing that my faith is difficult, that I have work to do, you know, and what the church is encouraging us is not saying, oh, if you feel like your, your faith has been thrown into doubt, you know, something bad has happened. Like that's, you know, you're in a sinful state or something. That's, that's ridiculous. What the church is saying is that the sin is to not get to work. The sin is to cultivate that doubt and just get comfy in that doubt and wrap yourself in like a big blanket and just like, like the depressed person who just wants to lay in bed. Like that's where they want to do. They just want to put the covers over their head and just bundle up in a dark place and just stay in that dark place. And they, and then you just spiral down and down and down. And so, you know, you know that that's the, the, it's hard. You know, the first thing that it's hard to do, but it's there's hard. nothing else for it. You got to get out of bed. That's right. You know, you've got to get to work. There's nothing else for it. There's nothing else is going to solve that for you. Right. You know, and the same happens with our faith. Like if your your faith is doubt, if you go through this moment of crisis, which I go through it all the time, I think, um, then uh, then there's nothing else for it than to get to work. And, you know, and I so like you know, like I, I'll use my own example. You know, one of the things that the, the current scandals has brought clearer to me mm-hmm. is that or has helped me understand about myself is that. In my heart, I don't want to believe all this is true. Like I don't, I don't want to, I want to just sin, right? You know, I just want to, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I want to eat too much and I want to, and I don't, I I just don't want to have to like all the time be working, you know? Um, And I, and I want to, there's something in me that I want for God not to exist because then I can do what I want. Right. You know? And, um, and on, and so I think that that, that has driven me in my, in my studies, like mm-hmm. that's part of the tension. Like I know that God exists and I know that, um, there's a truth and that, um, that, 
that I'm motivated by um, by the consistency of my thought, you know, on the mm -hmm. one hand. So there's a mm -hmm. virtue there that drives. Mm -hmm. And then there's this vice. It's, and there's that tension between, you know, I I don't want God to exist, but I can't just deny that God exists because that would be inconsistent, you know. And so that so therefore I want to prove that God doesn't yeah. exist. And that drives my study. You know, <laughs> that has that has led me to being the person who spent a lot of time reading these books. Right. You know, and 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 deepening my understanding and growing in my faith, actually. I mean, it's 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 like how God for me has used a weakness to deepen my faith. This you is know. what I think like St. Paul talks about as an obedience of faith and in, in the recognition that like if we just believe that there's something more than my own subjective experience, mm -hmm. and what is that? Right. Yeah. And how do I how do I try to find what that objective reality is? And how do I make sense of what that is, even in my own subjectivity? And allowing my own subjectivity, my own sense of self, my doubts, my struggles, right, my conceptions my feelings, all of that to try to, you know, make sense of it, make all. sense of it all and try to move me forward, propel me forward towards whatever that objective being is. Yeah. And, yeah. But we have to, there has to be that anchor, that belief that man, there is, it's, it's there. Yeah. You know, the sun still shines even on cloudy days. Right? Yeah. The sun doesn't go away just because we, it's, it's nighttime. Yeah, that's right. It's That's still right. there. Or, you know, I mean, we, we, our hearts will only rest in the truth. Right. And I want to rest. That's, that's, that's another way of saying what I'm talking about my own experience. I just, I'm lazy, right? I want to just rest. I just want to lay down and just take it easy. You know, I want to go on vacation forever. Right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Anywhere like, you want to go, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah, let's, yeah. let's you talk. Know, <laughs> so I, I, I want to rest, but I also know that I won't, I can't rest except in the truth. I've come to understand that as well. So I have to seek the truth so that I can rest. And, you know, and I'm hoping, I keep hoping and I keep wanting for the truth to be easy to attain. I keep looking for a shortcut, you know, and I have to, and, and, and so it would be easy for me to just doubt the existence of God and be done with it. But then that would be that obstinate version of doubt. That would be the sin. Right. Right. Or, but, um, which, which I've fallen into that too. Like, it's just easier to think that way, you know, or I can continue to seek the truth and seeking the truth isn't always like all full of, you know, warm, fuzzy feelings and affirmations and everything works out. It's it's hard. But but as I as I put that work into my own behavior and, you know, maybe it's in study, but also more importantly, I think, you know, working to develop virtue in my life, you right. know, um, I find myself stronger. I find myself um better able to think, better able to consider, better able to understand what's going on around me. Like it's paying dividends again, to go back to the, the scandals that there's going on in the church, like that work that God has put me through has helped me to understand what's going on and to, you know, it's now less painful, but, but in the end, when you struggle with this and you push, not push through again, that's not, but you know, when you, when you seek it, when you seek the truth, you will find it. Yeah, right. and, you, and then, you end up with the that, capacities. That's where you, can rest. you end up with the capacities and the strengths that allow you to find the truth. You know, right. and then and then it's like, okay, 
there's all of this mess going on and it's awful and it makes me angry and frustrated and blah, blah, blah. But it doesn't shake my faith. It doesn't make me think that God doesn't exist. In fact, it has the opposite effect. I mean, one of the things that's happened, and we've talked about this before, one of the things that happened with me in the scandal is all of the frustration and all of the anger that has come out, but has also come out in a in a thoughtful way among the laity is a, is a sign to me that that a lot of Catholics out there seek and know and seek the truth and they can they can smell a rat when they see one, right? Mm-hmm. Because they know the truth. Mm-hmm. They've come to know the truth. And the reason they're angry is because they know that the way the church has acted in certain ways is not consistent with what they know to be true about God and the church. Right. And and so it's like, okay, there's faith everywhere. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's take a break and uh, we'll resume this conversation in just a second. You're listening to Always Hope with Dr. Mario, a podcast that is a production of Willwood's Faith and Marriage. Today, I'm having a conversation on the relationship between faith and doubt with my friend and theologian, Chris O'Neill. If you've enjoyed the show so far, check out our other episodes on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. And if you like what you've heard, please hit subscribe so that you don't miss out on future episodes. Let's get back to the interview. All right, so we've been talking about faith and in doubts, and I hope that the listeners have been able to at least—I mean, I hope they're not depressed by our conversation, but just, <laughs> but just at least recognition, permission. That's what we're doing. Give, permission. Give, give, give permission, permission to be able to say if you've had these questions, you're in good company. Yeah. Right. It's okay. Yeah. It's, it's okay. Right. And and so I'd like for us to shift in the second half of the of the of the, the show here to think about like, okay, well, well, why then, right? If God is all loving. And God is all knowing and he's all good and all these things that we profess to be true. Why then would he allow these moments of suffering, these moments of doubt in, in my life? Yeah. Um, and so I'd like to start, if I may, by, by bringing up a, the story from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis in his, in his memoir, A Grief Observed, simple four parts, four chapters where he's just recounting his own grief about the, the loss of his wife, uh, right. Joy David. Right, right. And he goes deep because Lewis is a thinker and, and he goes really deep. He asks really profound questions. He's like, is God just the eternal vivisector who's just cutting me up because he's he's having fun with me? Because it's fun. Yeah. Or it's like is some he, kind of joke. Like it's some kind of joke, right? He's just yeah. cutting me up just for the heck of it. Some sadist. Or or is he the divine surgeon? And he just doesn't use anesthesia. Anesthesia all the time, right? Yeah. That there's a, there's a process that he's doing. He's cutting something out. And so that's one image that he uses. The other image that he uses is this notion of a house of cards that maybe, and this is what you're alluding to a little bit ago, and we can expand on this, is that maybe God sometimes loves us enough that he wants us to correct the way we think about him. Now, yeah. I, I can't say that for everybody and every suffering and every trauma and sure. every experience, right? but that maybe in certain circumstances, the reason that we doubt is that because God is, is revealing to us in the doubt that something that we thought about him isn't quite right. Yeah. And so Lewis makes the analogy of a house of cards, that if I've made a house of cards and said, this is who God is, then it's God's right and his justice and his mercy to knock it down. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because he loves That's us enough. Mean. That's not being mean. He Because he loves us enough. No, I, what that I he mean wants is to be God great. says, looks at that deck, that deck of cards yeah, and he yeah. says to you, that's not me. Right, right. <laughs> that's right. Not, that's me. not me. That's not who I am. That's not who I am. That's right. not what I do. That's not what I'm about. Yes. And that's not what our relationship is about. Yes. Like that's not us. 
Like that card house isn't us. Right. And, and if I'm going to grow in my intimacy with God, that card house has to go. You got to stop thinking about me like that because, because that's in the way of, of you coming to know who I really am. And do you see what I'm saying? I like, do. Yeah. No, I do. I mean, like, listen. Like, and so when we go through that, that's what I was alluding to is that when we go through that period of doubt, a lot of times it's because we're growing in our intimacy with God. Yes. Right. I mean, that's that. I yes. mean, you, you can't grow in intimacy with another without suffering, like without like, with, you know, there's something in us that wants to resist growth in our intimacy. Right. We want to hang on to that house of cards because we've kind of put a lot of work into it and we've um, and we want to embrace it and hang on to it. Mm -hmm. And um, and so we don't. So, you know, I've always thought my wife was this kind of person and I discover by living with her that she's not. Right. You know, you so know. what's the dangers of of yeah. of making your wife a house of cards or taking her for granted or or saying I've got her figured out? Well, well, like anyone who's married knows that that's <laughs> right. I mean, that's a problem. I'm like a marriage anyone, counselor, so yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> everybody knows. I mean, well, there, those are there's two there's two opportunities, right? I mean, there's two choices, right? Grow in intimacy with your spouse or don't. That's you know. Those, those are your two choices, right? You know, um, and you're if, only doing one or the other and you're only going to do one or the other. They're mutually exclusive. I'm otherwise trying to figure her out and, and set my sights on who she is as an eternal being yeah. as well as yeah. a mystery in, in trying to understand who she is in all aspects, like communication, emotional, sexual, everything. Right. Yeah. And I'm trying to figure her out always and how she's processing life or, or I'm not. Yeah. I either love her. Or I love my idea of her. Well said. Right? Well that, said. That, I mean, and of course that plays out in a hundred thousand different ways, right? Mm-hmm. And there's all kinds of ways where we become attached to my idea of my intimate, my, you know, my idea of who my parents are, my idea of who, you know, my, I have this ideal view of my dad, right? Yes. And then I find out my dad doesn't live up to my ideal and that makes me angry and that can either help me to come to understand my dad better or it can break my relationship with my dad. Right. Right. I mean, those, you know, because my dad just didn't live up to what, you know, I mean, all of our intimate relationships are that way, you know. And uh, and so to like have to drop our false notions, have to drop our house of cards to to let go of of ideas that that aren't consistent with reality is always, always, always painful. And it's always disorienting. It's always like I, I don't know how to think anymore like i don't it doesn't make any sense i lay awake at night and i don't know what to say and i don't know what to think is what the psalmist is saying mm-hmm. right you know where is god's love where is he like why why did he let this happen and and you know all of these things and those that that sense of disorientation and that sense of doubt is not necessarily a sign that that you're that God has abandoned you. I mean, it's a, I mean, it's, it's like recorded in the scriptures, which is the story of the intimacy of God and his people, especially the Psalms. Yes. You know, yes. um, If you're going to grow in intimacy, you go through, um, you go through a period of pain. You know, I had, I had a professor once we we took a class on in my, my graduate studies on um, the Christian meaning of suffering. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and the guy that taught it was a, was a, one of the most brilliant professors at the Institute that I went to. I um, mean, he was from Spain and we used to call it the Spanish inquisition because it was just painful. The whole class was just painful. Right. It was just <laughs> really hard. It was like the hardest class I took. And, um, but one of the 
deeper insights of that class is that it was this idea that suffering is the shape that love takes in when it encounters sin. Say that again. That suffering is the shape that love takes when it encounters sin. Why? Well, because, um, you know, I mean, there's lots of ways to think about that. I mean, I mean, you can think about that as Christ on the cross. Like that's how, because God loves the world and it encounters sin, it can't express itself in any other way than a offering of himself to the world. And the shape that that takes in a sinful world is a, is a death. I mean, that's a theological approach. Sure, There's sure. another approach too that I think is helpful is that we have this, this idea of concupiscence, right? We have this like, like this weight that drags us down towards sin, right? And part of that weight can be, can be understood as I don't want to change. I don't want to grow. I don't want to uh, do something different than what I'm used to. Right. So concupiscence you know, has a sense that like I'm always... I have, a, I have a proclivity towards certain sins, right? Yeah. Well, and that I, there's always a movement against holiness, yeah. against growth, against That's right. virtue. I, I always I always go kicking and screaming towards virtue, <laughs> right? That's, right? That's a good way to say it. Like, I right. dig my heels in, and I want to go back to the flesh pots in Egypt, right? Yes. I don't want to yes. go out into yes. this, you know, the effort that it takes, you know? And so, so there's this, like, dragging resistance to the growth, right? When does it, I mean, isn't there a place where... I mean, is there ever a point where it comes easy? No. Why? <laughs> I mean, like, like, it becomes easy in heaven, right? I mean, the thing is that we live in a veil but of tears. Even in marriage, I'm going I'm to press that a little bit. I mean, because, yeah. but in marriage, there are moments where like, when you do take the time to know your spouse mm-hmm. and, you, and, and you're attentive to the little things that make her tick or don't, and you really do the work of understanding her yeah. and you've been married for a while, I mean, you do have moments where, not that you take it for granted, but you don't, rather than resting on the laurels, you you respect the work that you've done that's gotten you to that yeah. point. And I, I do think that there and are moments where there's that. peace and that, that, that becomes easy even in a marriage, wouldn't yeah, you think? Well, you, you, you know, you take joy in the intimacy of your marriage. I mean, part of the, part of the things that's so delightful about the intimacy of your relationships, friendships. I mean, we can talk a lot about marriage. I think marriage is, is, is very helpful because it touches every aspect of our life. But, um, but any of our friendships is part of the things that's so delightful about friendships and about love is that, um, is that our, our friends and our loved ones, um, surprise us and they, they do things that we didn't expect. And they, um, and there's something delightful. There's something I can't, I don't control them. Right. I don't control them. They do. They, they just, they are who they are. And it's, and it's beautiful and lovely to me. Right. Um, but. So is there a place where we can and expect we, that from God or. We can or, take or, joy or, in or, that. Or when, or like, well, how do we see that? I guess. And, and do we, I guess, cause it can go, I mean, this is the challenge of the conversation like this. You can mm-hmm. go a thousand different ways. Like yeah. we always overlook God's love, right? The simplicity of how God manifests himself. Yeah. I mean, the very fact that we're even here having this conversation, the very fact that there's air that we can breathe, yeah, yeah, yeah. the very fact that the sun even shines and the earth is where it's located in the universe, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 I mean, right. like all of that is a manifestation of God's love, yeah. but we we tend to overlook those things. And so I, I guess- I, 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 I guess I guess what I'm saying is, is the reason why I would say it never gets easy. If you think that easy means that you, you there comes a point where you have to stop making the effort at 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 coming to understand my beloved as she is 
and not my own idea. That that struggle, that struggle is always there. Yes. You know, uh, the saints are the ones who delight in that struggle. Right. Right. They take they take a certain joy in that. Right. They, um, you know, it's just this very difficult thing that we read in the saints that somehow they like they like to suffer. And you're like, what is, you know, I'm not that kind of a saint. Yeah, right. Yeah, me neither. You know, um, it's not that they like to suffer or like the martyrs. Right. I mean, I used to think that I used to think about the martyrs. I used to think of them as like you know they're being filleted or burned at the stake and they're telling jokes and they're singing songs and you know and i used to think oh well they were so filled with god's grace that they had this like divine anesthesia and it it like doesn't hurt because god loves them so much right and then as i and then i got married and then grew in my faith and 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 it occurred to me no it's not that it never you never come to a place where martyrdom doesn't hurt Right. That it's not painful. The martyrs felt every bit of the pain that they felt, but their desire of their heart was to give themselves wholly to God. And because their heart were prepared to do that, the pain that they suffer is a sign to them that they are actually doing what they've always wanted. And so there, there's a joy. There's a joy that over that doesn't overcome the pain, but the pain of it, the suffering of it. Um means that i'm offering myself completely you know i'm and offering this, myself so this completely. is why then the martyr takes so he know, sings and, a hymn thanks be to god yeah right yeah. he takes he takes it's not that it doesn't hurt or the suffering has gone away but there's a joy that doesn't that escapes understanding that comes from the you know what i've always wanted was a complete like the depths of my, oh, the depths of the martyr's heart. I won't talk about mine. Mine's too dark, but the depths of the martyr's heart, right? Is that what, I, what he's always wanted and always, always wanted from his life is a complete offering of himself to God. And he's never been able to do that because he's caught up in the, in the, you know, um, the milieu of, of the world that is always, you know, he, it's always kind of a balance, but you know, he's now at this place at martyrdom. He has nothing left he has nothing left to do but offer everything to God and he finds great and he finds joy at that moment. And so he can sing a hymn, even though it hurts. And, you know, and they can do that. I would think not just because there's a particular grace, but because experience has led them through the sufferings. And so I like, not that I rejoice in my suffering, but because I've had two real crises in my life of faith, I would say maybe others, but two particular ones that stand out. The second one was a little bit easier to get through than the first one. Yeah. Because I went through the first one and I saw the growth that came out of it. Yeah. And so then as I was going through the the second one and I was having sleepless nights and as I was trying to make sense of it, I, I rested in my memory and recognizing that yeah. God had led me through the first one and not that just I got out unscathed, but that I got out and understood life better. Yeah. That as I was going through the second one, it didn't, it hurt and it was heavy and I was, and I had moments of real, of real struggle, but it wasn't that it was, it wasn't, I don't know how to say it wasn't as catastrophic, I guess, because yeah. I knew that at the end of the day, like God would, would get me through this and not just get me through this, but do a greater good. And he's doing he, something. He's doing something in the midst of this. Yeah. yeah. The, the, and I just have to be, and not just, I just have to be, I can't say it this way, but, but there's an element in terms of me having to be faithful and respond in faithfulness to God's faithfulness. Yeah. And and that's the place that I have to. So it's not that I doubt or that I struggle or but like I'm trying to be faithful to the best that I can with the circumstances that I'm that I'm facing. 
But I knew that my experience allowed me to be able to say, okay, God's at work in this. Yeah, and I know I mean, something's going to come use, out of this. I mean, it, it, you know, any, all analogies are too thin. Of course. Because, the, of course. because the, the, the suffering of human, the human condition is way deeper than... than right. You we mean, can have a whole other show on yeah, that. I mean, we'll it's, talk right. about that. But, but I think there's an analogy of like, you know, the person who's working out in a gym, right? You know, the weights resist you. They don't allow you to move freely, Right. They're weighing you down. And when you lift weights, there's a certain there's a certain uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable, right? It's, well, it is. And what grows muscles is the little micro tears in your muscles back like that reheal. And that's how you get bigger. Right. You, they're pushing back at you. They're right. resisting you. They're not letting you do what you want. They're not letting you to continue to to act in the way whatever. Right. But the person who who continues to work out. It's not that their muscles don't feel a little bit sore or they don't feel that discomfort, you know, but but they know what that discomfort means. They understand that discomfort and they know the difference between I've been injured and I've put in a good workout. And so the person who is prudent about working out, right, and they don't lift weights that are too heavy for them and so on, you know, they feel that discomfort, but they know, but that discomfort is a sign that they've grown. It's a sign that they've developed, you know, that they've grown in strength and they've or endurance or whatever it is. And so you're saying something very similar, like, okay, I'm in this period where I feel doubts or I have this uncomfortable emotional response to what's going on around me. I'm 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 this crisis of faith that's more than just uncomfortable, right? Mm -hmm. Way more than just uncomfortable, mm -hmm. uh, devastatingly difficult in mm -hmm. places, right? But but I've gone through that before, and I. And now I know what that means. And because mm -hmm. I know what that mm -hmm. means, that doesn't like, make me not have hope. It's like, it's like, a, it's like a, another analogy that I think is probably better is like a, a married couple who argues with each other regularly. You know, you're, you're accustomed to contending with one another. You're accustomed to disagreeing and working through and talking. And, you know, if you can fight well on the little things like who takes the trash out right or whatever you know those little those little efforts at generosity and those little efforts at communication serve you really well when it comes when you have to have a heavier top discussion like you know about finances say or even a heavier one about like habitual sin in the family or or something devastating you know like okay this is uncomfortable. This is difficult. This is hard. I don't want to talk about this. I want, but I know that I can't, and I'm going through that work. But I, but so, but when I feel the pain of our disconnect with each other, you know, I know that that I I've had that feeling enough that I'm accustomed to it, and I and I know what that means and know where it's going to go, and so it doesn't make me lose hope, even though it's difficult. So let's talk you about. You I'm that. saying does that make sense? No, it does. I mean it. The workout analogy is the right one. I mean, that's, that's, and when we talk about physical work, obviously, you know, we see that in the spiritual life as well, that, yeah. that once you've engaged and you've committed to, to getting, to getting better, to, to working out, to running, I mean, marathoners will talk about hitting the wall, usually mile 22, 23 yeah. type of thing. And they know that they have to push through that. Yeah. And again, this isn't just about picking yourself up by your bootstraps. But recognizing that, that you can suffer that, but you can suffer that because, that, yeah. because there's yeah, still a greater can. good at work. Yeah. And it's, and that's the thing that we have to you maintain. You think you're going to die, but you're not going to die. And you know that you're not going to die. And so it's uncomfortable. And, but you can, you know, when you hit but that back wall, to, but 
And you're not actually, you think you're injuring yourself, but you're not injuring yourself because you've been well trained. You've been well coached. Because you know your body. And you understand what that feeling is and you understand what it means and you, and you've become accustomed to it before. And, and it turns out that, you know, I mean, there was, there's a saying like in the, in the like elite, like special forces or I can't remember what it was, but like when, when you think that you've hit, you've done all that you can do, you've only done about like 40% of what you actually can do. Crazy. You know what That's I crazy. mean? It's like, or something, you know, what you're actually able to do and what you think you're able to do are not the same you know and you and that's part of the reason why you go through training when you're doing like if you're a special forces person you go through that suffering in training so that you know and there's a lot of way and that's that's true in our lives like you know there are little things that we think has will devastate you know you first get married and you and you're you're you've you become annoyed that the person doesn't put the toothpaste on the and it and it's this little tiny thing and it causes this huge disruption Right. And you feel like, how can we even live together and how can we even do this? And and so like couples have been married for a year or so and they have these huge fights. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and they, you know, and they're adjusting to life together. But they realize like, you know, that thing isn't going to kill us like that thing isn't going to break my relationship. My relationship isn't rooted in feeling happy, happy, joy, joy, romance all the time. If couples get to that if right if they see it and that if they way. have the courage to go through it and and if they're coached if they're helped counseling helps or friendships help uh, you know uh the church the community of other people you see your parents i mean one of the things that i've been served real well is my parents fought with each other all the time you know yeah. <laughs> you know and i think they have a a fairly healthy relationship there's issues yeah. or whatever but you know it wasn't surprising to me when i got married i mean it was surprising in one sense because i I thought that I would transcend all of that. But on the other hand, it's like, oh, right. Of course you struggle with each other. Okay. Okay. So this is what marriage is like. And okay. So this is what we have to do. And all right. You know, and you go through. But, you know, other people, I mean, my wife really struggled. My wife really struggled because she um, she thought that we were supposed to live in bliss. And then when we didn't, it was a devastating revelation, mm-hmm. right? She realized that I'm not quite the hero that she <laughs> that I have problems myself or whatever, you know. Um, but we go through that and our relationship, it feels like your relationship is breaking, but actually your relationship is growing. You know, it's right. actually what's actually happening. And you don't you know, a lot of you, times, again, if you have the right perspective in the midst of those yeah, fights. If you endure it. And if you have a certain balance as well. I mean, yeah. if 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 it's all arguing, if it's all doubt if it's all that then a relationship can't handle that that's right that's and so right. that's why even when it comes to back to the spiritual life like even when we're at our most i don't know despairing of god's existence how do we still find and i want this is what i want to get to in terms of hope mm-hmm. how do we still find those moments to, to anchor right our faith in to to so that it isn't completely gone yeah well i, I what, what just came to mind as you were saying that was uh the lives of the saints. Like you can't, it's really hard to do this by yourself. Yes. It's it, really hard. Like if you're, we're the, not supposed to, and you're not supposed we're to, we're not supposed to. That's right. Part of, that's and part so of the, if you think that you have to point. bootstrap yourself in, in, you know, like, like if you're, if you're like, I mean, here's another analogy, like say you're struggling in your relationship with your marriage. Right. And you go and you have some drinks with your friends and they're like, Oh yeah, I went through that too. You know, I'm not going through it right now, 
you know, my relationship with my husband is really good right now. My relationship with my wife is really, you know. And this goes back to your point you said earlier in terms of what, like, when you have these doubts, what, what sources are you going to defeat yourself? Because we can, we can, you have to, right. Because we can push the analogy the other way. You can go out with drinks with your friends and they're like, oh, you know, that girl don't, dump don't that guy. Dump, dump him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 That's right. He doesn't get you or he doesn't know who that's you right. are. You've got to go to the saints. It's not just anybody, but the saints, right? You know, the people who are going to encourage you, the people who are going to, you know, so, you know, you read the letters of St. Paul, you read the Psalms, you, you read the lives of the saints, you, you, you find, you find a community of believers who are, who are, who are able to be transparent with each other about, about our struggles. I mean, one of the things that I've tried to do in my own parish is we're trying to start up a men's men's group. Right. And, um, you know, but whenever you're starting a group like that, everyone, everyone, you start off like pretending like you've all got it together, but it's not really doing what it's supposed to do until you can come into a group and say, guys, I'm struggling guys. I'm having a hard time. Like, I don't, I just, you know, I just don't know how to, think through this, you know, like the conversations we've had about the scandals, like the friendships that allow us to say, gosh, you know, this really is, you know, but if I, if I didn't have an, a place to go talk about those things, I can't bring them up. Then I can't be encouraged. I can't be helped along, um, except by those other relationships. And so, you know, you, we tend to keep our intimate relationships with God, our intimate relationship with our spouse as something that's so private that it can't be shared with anyone. And then we end up suffering all by ourselves. And, you know, we're, we're, we're having doubts and we don't know how to get through them, but we have to pretend like we don't have doubts. And when we pretend like we don't have doubts when we really do, then, then we're fostering those doubts. That's what the, I think that's one of the things they're talking about deliberately cultivating doubt by refusing to talk about it, by refusing to own it, by refusing to seek out the right counsel, you know, it leads us to greater and greater blindness. It creates, that's what the catechism calls it, right? right. You know, we're on, we become unable to see, right? But when we see the lives of others that are, that can encourage us, it helps us to see the light at the end of the tunnel, you know? Um, and that's why friendships are so important. That's it. You know? So bringing this to a close then, I think it seems that a few takeaways for the listeners. One, if you're having doubts, you're in good company. Own them. Own them. And recognize that it's, there's, as long as you're not voluntarily like stoking the flame of doubt, but recognizing if the questions are coming up involuntarily, in that sense, it's a good, it's a good way of thinking about it because the circumstances in your life are challenging. That's okay. That's okay. What do you... But you have to you have to own what you do with those yeah. thought, with those yeah. doubts with those thoughts. Do you like the analogy of do you go hang out with your your buddies and you just want everybody to tell you how right you are or how bad you know your spouse is, or are you surrounding yourself with an environment that's going to encourage you to stay through right. it? Yeah, and that and the way we do that is both through through being honest and sincere with God first and foremost in prayer, mm-hmm. and in surrounding yourself with with the right people, good friends that aren't going to judge you because you're, you're expressing this, being honest with your spouse. If you're married, having a spiritual director, if you have something, you have somebody in your life that can be that, but then even just rooting yourself in scripture and in the lives of the saints and recognizing that, that there are others who have gone through this. Yeah. I've experienced that too. I mean, that's what's so you started with that Psalm. The reason I'm sure the reason that that was so strong, that thing was written hundreds and hundreds of thousands, thousands of, of years, years ago. ago right right and he's writing about an experience is like oh yes. yeah i know exactly what that feels like yes. look at that he wrote he felt the same thing you know um that's just like 
that's such a consolation. Awesome. You know, but if we refuse to be consoled by such things, then we're going to foster those doubts and we're going to become all comfy with them. And we're going to be like the depressed man who can't get out of bed and who just refuses to get out of bed. Right. Um, Instead of going and finding the person to talk to, getting up and doing what you need to do. Um, You know, the life of faith is it's not kids stuff. I mean, that's what I started with at the beginnings. Like we tend to think that the life of faith is for kids. It's, you know, it's Sunday school, love each other and be nice and everything else. But the life of faith is not for kids. It's an, it's an adult endeavor that requires prudence and virtue and, and effort. And, um, and that's not to say that grace isn't involved. Like it's all grace, you know, but what we know is that through the grace of God, our effort strengthens us. And so, you know, and our friendships and the graces of God that come to us through our friends, through the life of the church, through the sacraments, you know, through the sacraments of the church where God's love is given to us in a concrete fashion where we can like see it and hold on to it. Like all of those things are available to us. It's not that God has left us orphans. You know, I don't feel God's love. You know, I don't see it, but God has given us everything we need and more. Um, But we need to, you know, God's going to love us in the way that God wants to love us in the way that's best for us and not necessarily the way that we want him to love us. And I mean, of course that's true. I mean, an adult love knows that, right? You know, adult mature love knows that my wife is going to love me the way my wife thinks is best to love me and not the way that I just want her to love me, you know? And, and so you have to own that, you know, um, and not try to control my relationship with these people not try to control my relationship with God, but to be honest and transparent about it, you know? Amen. Amen. And allow God to do the good work and to bring it to completion inside your heart and your life and whatever he's doing in your heart and life, um, be open to it. And, and sometimes it's not what we want, but it's always what we need. Yeah. And, and God can make good out of any circumstance. So Chris, I I appreciate this time. And, uh, and I hope that maybe somebody will, will listen to this a thousand (laughs) years from now. (laughs) Joking. (laughs) Take comfort in it as well. But, uh, but thank you for joining us. Absolutely. It was great to be here. Awesome. God is good. Never give up your pursuit of him, even when you have those moments of doubt. He knows it, and it's okay. Thanks for listening to the show. Please head over to iTunes, Google Play, or Stitch, or wherever you get your podcast from, and hit subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. Have a great day.